0: السلام عليكم الله Can someone just give me, please, a mic test while I begin? Just make sure the sound's okay. الرحمن الرحيم، حمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين، ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين، وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده ولا شريك له، الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطف الأمين. Allahumma salli wa abdika wa rasulika muhammadin wa ala wa Welcome to the another lesson of QP year 6 and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to begin with our first uh, the tafsir of our first surah for uh, QP year 6 which will be suratul buruj so the last couple of weeks uh, we've done a special on the life and the biography of Sheikh muhammad al-amina as well as his tafsir, a brief overview of his methodology and his tafsir, al bayan, fi al in Quran, and um, I hope that Inshallah Taala, everyone found it useful, beneficial, that you benefited from uh, being introduced to another major work of tafsir from the books of tafsir that we often refer to and quote and mention and read from in our tafsir or in our tafsir lessons and if there's any questions I I don't think there were any questions last week other than the ones that we answered in class but if anyone has any questions concerning the sheikh himself or concerning his tafsir please uh, let me know please ask uh, it's something that we all benefit from and if it's something I know inshallah ta'ala I can help and if it's something which we don't know or I don't know something which we can look into and research because often when it comes to the methodologies especially the methodologies of these scholars in their books uh, many of the scholars, especially like the, the earlier scholars, in more classical times, would write a very brief introduction to their tafsir, and sometimes hardly any introduction at all. Or sometimes the introduction is literally a few paragraphs. And so the methodology of an alim in terms of his tafsir, for example, and it's the same even in the major books of hadith, like what's the methodology of Bukhari in his sahih an Imam Muslim in his sahih and other imams of the sunnah. Because they, it wasn't common at that time for them to write uh, long introductions or sometimes even introductions at all. So uh, one of the ways that we look at these methodologies and, 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 and uh, deduce their methodologies is by reading through the book and by noticing things. And I don't mean personally me, but other scholars who go through these books and they notice things and they extract things and they realise, okay, this is what, what's likely to be the case because... Uh, because al Imam, uh, the so and so, so and so, this Imam, this is something which he does often in his book. And so that's why Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, for example, when he explained Sahih Bukhari, something which he does, the scholars who went through a Tirmidhi, for example, Sahih Muslim, they did the same. And they extracted a methodology that you will find. So, for example, Imam al Nawi mentions points of methodology that he considered to be the methodology of Imam Muslim, because Imam Muslim didn't really mention his methodology. And so he noticed the methodology, just based on reading uh, a great deal and obviously studying those books and explaining them. And he obviously wrote a, a major explanation of Sahih Muslim. So, to give an example of this, like one of the things, for example, from the Suran of the Imam Tirmidhi or the Jami of the Imam Tirmidhi. And Imam Tirmidhi often uh, will give a chapter heading and he will say Bab such and such and such. Right? He will give a chapter heading, chapter of such and such. And then, after mentioning a number of narrations, he will say Bab min or Bab. He would just say the word Bab, chapter, without giving any heading. And what the scholars found after reading and studying and going through that book multiple times, the different scholars noticed this, is that often when he just says Bab, it means that this is a sub-chapter of the previous chapter, and that's why he doesn't give it a heading. And that's something which Imam At-Tirmidhi himself didn't mention, didn't say that that's what I'm going to do, but it's just something which scholars noticed after reading and reading and reading, that these hadith, in these, in, when he just says Bab, they're linked to the major... Uh, heading or the, the the previous major heading of that of that chapter and now he's just added another Baab because maybe there's a different issue that's being discussed here or a different angle that's being referred to in those ahadith that he's going to gather under this new chapter heading. So these are things that people find over time and so likewise with the tafsir books and especially the older more classical ones uh, it is very common that we don't actually know the methodology of the Imam or his methodology is mentioned by himself in a very brief way in a very uh, very brief way and so it's something which then the scholars just by doing what we call istiqra istiqra means that you just read the whole thing over and over and you notice patterns and then you deduce those patterns and that's something which only obviously it's not something which anyone and everyone is able to do or has the ability to do but that's why we are our in our religion to have major Imams who, and, and scholars who went to these books of the imams of the salaf and they read through them and they studied them and they explained them and they wrote commentaries on them and so they are the ones who often mention these points and benefits that we have so I, I personally think it's always beneficial and good to go through these books and, and read the, read these uh, you know the commentaries on them and so on obviously Adwa'ul Mayan is slightly different because it's a more contemporary book, no one's really studied it in that way or written of it in that way, but maybe in, a, in a 50 years or 100 years people have written by the way on, on the methodology of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin I think there's been there's been some PhDs and maybe some master's theses that have been done on this topic but as time goes on you will find that more and more people because it is a tafsir that people read and use and benefit from that they're likely to, to write more upon it and this is the way that Allah Azzawajal blesses those scholars and the way that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala puts barakah in their legacy and in their work and what they did that Allah causes people after them to continue to read and benefit and, and expand upon what they wrote. And so if you look at for example Sahih bukhari how many of the Imams of Islam wrote commentaries on Bukhari? Or summarized Sahih al-Bukhari? Or wrote full explanations of Sahih al-Bukhari? That's a sign inshaAllah Ta'ala that Allah loves the Imam and loves what they put forward for for the Muslims and for Islam. And there are many such examples. And so the scholars have always done this. And it has always been a methodology from the methodologies of seeking knowledge and learning and benefiting. And that is because we don't have this thing of just reinventing the wheel for the sake of reinventing the wheel. But someone's done something like Bukhari. No one came after Bukhari and Muslim and said, I'm going to do a better sahih or another sahih. scholars came and did something like the al al hakim, which he considered to be hadith that met their condition. But they didn't really uh, add into their sahihin. Uh, scholars agreed with him and scholars disagreed with him. Uh, that came afterwards as well. That's why Imam al Dahabi did his uh, his own take on the Mustadrak al Hakim and whether he uh, met those conditions himself or not. And so these are always attempts by the scholars, but it points out or it points to something which is an important principle of methodology in seeking knowledge and learning. So, inshallah ta'ala, today and uh, for the next number of weeks here on in. Inshallah, Taala, we will be doing the tafsir of Suratul Buruj, and Suratul Buruj is the eighty-fifth chapter of the Quran. So, uh, as we usually do, for those of you that are new, what we often do in our tafsir for the Surahs is we begin with the introduction that normally comprises of the names by which the surah is known, where it was revealed in terms of it being The number of verses in the surah, uh, also, uh, for example, um, uh, any virtues if there are virtues that have been related in the surah or the surah has been mentioned in a hadith in one way or another we'll mention some of those things as well and then we go into the tafsir of the actual verses so in surah al-buruj it is known by three names you will find in the books of tafsir and hadith that that there are three names by which the surah is referred to and as we mentioned last year at the beginning of QP year 5 uh, these are names and sometimes they are mentioned as descriptions or so sometimes when amongst the Salaf they would say for example Surah was or Surah sabbih rabbika la'ala, they don't necessarily intend that as a name uh, but they may intend it rather as being a, descri- a description of the Surah and that's why sometimes you will find in the books of Hadith uh, that they say for example the Surah in which Al-Jathiyah is mentioned meaning Surah Al-Jathiyah the Surah in which Al-Jathiyah is mentioned meaning the verse of Al-Jathiyah um, and so that is common in, in the early works of, of the of the scholars. So the first name by which the surah is known is the surah, is the name by which we all now know this surah, Surah al-Buruj, uh, and that's the, the name that it is commonly known by now. And even in fact, in the early works, it is often the name by which the surah is referred to. So, for example, Abdullah Mubarak in his book al-Bukhari in his Sahih Tirmidhi and al nasai in their respective collections of hadith. Al-Tabari in his Tafsir, Ibn Abi Hatim in his Tafsir and then the scholars and these obviously like from the early scholars of Tafsir and Hadith but then the scholars who even came after them such as Ibn Kathir and others refer to the surah as Suratul Buruj the, Suratul Buruj the second name by which this surah is known is Surah Was-Sama'i Buruj which is the first verse and by now we've seen that this is a common pattern in the early works of Tafsir and Hadith that often the Surah is named after the first verse Surah is named after the first verse So for example Surah Surah Abi Surah That's very common in the early works of the scholars So likewise Surah Al-Buruj Likewise you will find in some books such as the Tafsir of Abdul Razak uh, that he calls the Surah Surah Al-Sama'i That Al-Buruj The third name by which it is known uh, or to be more accurate, it is mentioned in some narrations by is surah as samai that al buruj without the wow, surah to samai that al buruj without the wow at the beginning. So, for example, in the Muslim Ibn Imam Ahmed, in the narration of Abu Huraira, uh, he says, uh, The Prophet sallallahu alayhi akhirati bis He would read in the isha prayer buruj with that al um, And so he, he mentions it in this way. And again, it's not because he's uh, reading the verse of the Quran, uh, but rather what he's doing is he's giving a description of which surah the Prophet is reciting. And so it's more a description as opposed to a name. However, they're often mentioned as names, um, in, in especially in the later works of tafsir. So, for example, as we mentioned before, a scholar who, who often focuses on the names of the surahs and the different names by which they are known and the names by which they are mentioned in the old masahif. So the old masahif are like the written manuscripts of the Quran that we still have in our time. Some of them written three, four, five hundred years ago, some seven, 800 years ago. Those masahif that still exist today, what is the name by which these surahs were known at, uh, at that time? So the scholar who often does this is Ibn Ashur Rahim Ta'ala, the famous um, Moroccan, scholar who uh, has an amazing tafsir, it's a very nice tafsir that he has and, and maybe that's also one of the tafsirs that we will look at, at some point in terms of his methodology and so on it's a tafsir that we often look to because it's a nice tafsir um, he also mentions this Ibn Ashur often goes through these names and what you will find in certain hadith and what you find in, 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 in certain masahif But also you will find um, others have gone through it in more detail in terms of like the books of Qur'an or the sciences of Qur'an in terms of which scholars of the Salaf uh, mention in their books this name or that name. So some of it's found by Ibn Ashur and some of it's found in other than Ibn Ashur's Tafsir. But anyway, that's one narration, which is the narration of Abu Huraira in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. And there is a second second narration also in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad and also on the authority of Abu Huraira, radiyallahu anhu. And with a slightly different wedding. So it's the same uh, it's the same hadith, but with the slightly different wedding. And that is that the Prophet ﷺ commanded people to recite in the Isha prayer بسماوات, with the surahs of Sama'a. A samawat is the plural of a sama And so the surahs that have a sama which are a sema'i al-Buruj, Sama'i Wat Tariq, uh Fatarat maybe. All of these surahs that begin with As-Samawat and we know that the Prophet ﷺ in the Isha' prayer would usually, as is mentioned in some narrations, usually read surahs the length of which is the Ausatul Mufassal. And We said the Mufassal surahs are the last surahs beginning from Qaf onwards until Nas and they're divided into three. From Qaf until the beginning of the 30th juz, these are known as the Long Mufassal and these Long Mufassals are the ones that he would normally recite from in the Fajr prayer. For the Isha pray, he would read the middle Mufassal The middle Mufassal starts from the first Surah of the 30th Juz, Surah to naba all the way up to the end of Surah Al-Layn, meaning just before Surah Al-Duha. And then in the Maghrib prayer, he would recite from the Qisar al which is from Surah duha until Surah Al-Nas. And so these are the Surahs that he would often refer to, and many of them, or a number of them, begin with As-Sama. And that's why Abu Hurairah says that he would command people to read the Samawat, meaning the Surahs that begin with Allah taking an oath, by the heavens or by the sky so these are the three names by which the surah is known Surah Al-Buruj, Surah was samai al buruj and Surah as samai al buruj in terms of its revelation Surah Al-Buruj whether it is Mecki or Madani then it is by Ijma' uh, a, a, a Mecki Surah by Ijma' by consensus of the scholars of tafsir, it is a Mecki Surah so all of the scholars of tafsir, uh, whichever one you go to whichever book you go to it will mention that it is a, a Mecki surah. And we know from experience now, having gone through a number of these surahs, that there are surahs that are Mecki, Khilaf, they're Mecki, and there's no difference of opinion. Surahs that are Madani, and there's no difference of opinion. And then surahs that are Mecki, but then there's some differences of opinion, or Madani, and some differences of opinion. Either difference of opinion as to whether it was revealed in one place or the other, or differences of opinion because certain verses are considered to be outside of that place of revelation. So this is makki but these surahs seem to be Madani. Or this is Madani, but those surahs are makki and so Or those verses are makki and usually it's the other way around. It's normally the makki surahs that have some Madani in them. That's the norm and Allah knows best. However, Surah Al-Buruj is makki and I didn't come across anyone or any of the uh, early scholars of Islam from the Tabi'een and others who differed on that point. And that's why whether you go to Tafsir al-Baghawi, or Ibn Kathir, or Ibn al-Jawzi, all of these tafasir, you will find that they all say that it is a Mecki Surah. And further than this, you will find others who actually state that there is no difference of opinion in that it is Mecki. Ibn Atiyah, for example, said, The Surah is Mecki by consensus of all of the scholars of tafsir, There is no difference of opinion in this. And likewise, the Shaukani Imam al-Shawkani said something similar, it is makki without a difference of opinion. And Ibn Ashur says the same thing, by agreement, by consensus, this is a Meccae surah. Makki obviously meaning as we mentioned before, but just for the benefit of those who may be joining us uh, in this uh, year for the first time, Meccae means it was revealed before before migration, the migration to Medina, and after migration, post-migration is considered to be a Mecca Surah, Madani Surah So Mecca and Madīn are not to do with place even though that's what uh, first comes to mind when these terms are mentioned Mecca and Madani you think one means it's revealed in the city of Mecca the other one in the city of Medina which is one position amongst the scholars of Tafsir and Alum Al-Qur'an but as we mentioned before the, the stronger position Allah knows best is that Mecchi refers to anything pre-Hijrah and Madani anything post-Hijrah and the benefit of that uh, definition as opposed to the first one is because the Prophet would sometimes in the Mecca period be outside of the city of Mecca. For example, he's gone to Taif or he's gone somewhere else. And likewise, in the Madani period, he may also be outside of the city of Medina, may have been at Badr, may have come back to Mecca for the conquest of Mecca, may have gone to Tabuk, may have gone to Hunain, and all of those different places. And so, either way, whatever the location was, it's to do with the time period, and it is divided by the Hijrah, Mecca and Madani. The surah, uh, or, or the surah, Surah Al buruj as we mentioned, is mentioned in a number of narrations. So, we already mentioned previously the two that have been uh, collected by the Muslim in the Muslim Ibn Imam Ahmad under the authority of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anh, that the Prophet وسلم, used to uh, read or read those surahs himself and command people to read those types of surahs in the Isha Salah. And we have another narration, similar narration uh, in the Sunan al-Kubra' al-Nisa'i, uh, which is the big Sunan al-Kubra. So Imam al-Nisa'i uh, has a book which you are all familiar with, this collection of hadith which is the Sunan. And this Sunan is often known as Sunan al-Mujtaba' or a Sunan al-Sughra'. It's known as al-Mujtaba' al-Sughra', which means the smaller Sunan or the chosen, selected Sunan. Because Imam, Imam al-Nisa'i actually wrote a much larger book much bigger than the Sunan that we're all familiar with, which is part of the six major collections of hadith. He has a big Sunan, which is called a Sunan al-Kubra. And from that Sunan al-Kubra, he then chose and selected what he would put into his Sunan al-Sughra or his al mustaba And that's the one we're familiar with, which is the smaller one. And small, when we say small, it still has like three, 4,000 narrations. So it's not very small, but compared to the bigger one, it's smaller. In his So this is a narration from his al-Kubra, from the bigger sunan as opposed to the smaller one remember this says amr ibn ali yan ibn salama ibn the alayhi wa sallam the hadith is the hadith of Jabir ibn samura that the prophet will recite in the dhuhr and asr prayers with surahs like al al and al samaa'i wa Similar types of surahs in length, and that's in accordance, therefore, with the other narrations. As we said, the Prophet used to recite the small mufassal for Maghrib, the long mufassal for Fajr, and the in some narrations for the other prayers, the middle mufassal. So, some of them name Isha, and some of them say the other prayers, which should then include not only Isha, but also, as this narration says, Dhuhr and Asar. And so, there is, uh, you know, those, those narrations don't necessarily contradict one another, if anything, they mention to us the length of his salah for Dhuhr and Asr as well because obviously for the louder prayers it's easier to know what the the Prophet was reciting, what length his recitation was, uh, how many verses he was reciting but this is now with a sign and prayer and so they also would say that these are the types or the lengths of surahs that he would recite for Dhuhr and for Asr and one of the things that you find and we may have touched upon this before I don't remember now but you will often find in the time of the Prophet ﷺ and in the early time, the time, the generation of the companions and so on, uh, you will often find that they used to uh, denote as their times or they would measure the length of things according to the Qur'an. And that's something which was amazing. So obviously before they had clocks and timepieces and everything else, they would measure things by the Qur'an. So people, for example, as is mentioned in the books of history, when people, if people wanted to travel at night, they would say, when shall we meet? And they would say, when you hear the Qur'a reciting, when you hear the people, meaning standing for Qiyamul Layl. When people start waking up for Qiyamul Layl, that's the time we meet, which, which means towards the last third of the night. And so they would measure things like this. And there's numerous hadith like this as well, where one of the companions asked, uh, I think Anas an asked, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, or one of the other companions, who once made iftar with the Prophet sallallahu Wasallam. was sorry, had suhoor with the Prophet sallallahu Wasallam when he was fasting and he said, How much was the time between the two, between your Suhoor and between the Adhan of Fajr? And he says something like, it was like 30 verses or 40 verses or 50 verses. And so they would give, what's the average time it would take a person to recite? 40, 50 verses, you know, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, something like this. Meaning, the Prophet would delay his Suhoor. So often we have Suhoor, you know, sometimes an hour before Fajr. Like half an hour, 45 minutes, most people are done with their Suhoor and they're just waiting. The sunnah, as is mentioned in numerous hadith, is that he would make the akhir of his suhoor. The Prophet ﷺ would make his suhoor right at the end, toward just before Fajr time. That is the sunnah. And so the uh, the companions asked, how would you measure that time between his eating and between that and the Fajr? So he measures it like 40, 50 verses. 40, 50 verses doesn't take you more than 10 minutes. And obviously speaking about a proficient reciter who would recite in a, in a medium tone, in a normal way. And so we're not speaking about those people who struggle and it will take them a long time. Nor are we speaking about the people who rush their recitation and it's very, very fast. We're talking about the average reciter who's proficient in the Quran. It takes him five minutes, maybe ten minutes at most, seven, eight minutes uh, to, to recite that many verses. And so that's that's what the Prophet would do. And obviously his Suhoor is relatively light. So this is what they would do. They would measure things in that way. And obviously, you know, we don't really measure things in that way anymore. But this is something which you will find if you refer to many of the early earlier uh, narrations, and and uh, and even like the length of the of the salah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam is measured by his recitation, right? How long was his qiyamul layl How long was his uh, like these salahs? How long was he was he leading fajr for Dhuhr for asr maghrib isha? All these prayers, this is measured by the 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 number of verses that he would recite Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So these are the some of the narrations um, in which Surah Al-Buruj is mentioned (coughs) and what you will find in all of them therefore that the uh, hadith or these narrations describe this Surah by the first verse as was common as we said during that time period as opposed to just calling it Surah Al-Buruj and this Surah consists of 22 verses consists of 22 verses according to the uh, to the Kufi um, ad, the Kufi numbering and this is something which we went through last year when we went through the different numberings of the Masahif so whenever we give numberings we're obviously referring to the Kufi one because we all recite in the Kufi recitation of Asim Hafsan Asim so let's begin with the tafsir Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah by taking an oath and that is the oath of by the sky full of constellations and so that's the uh, tafsir that is the tafsir of Professor Abdul Harim or by the sky with this towering constellations by Professor Abdul Harim I swear by the sky the one having stellar formations by Mufti Taqi by the sky containing great stars Sahih international, and by the heaven holding the big stars and that is Muhsin Khan So as you can see some of the scholars or some of the translations speak about constellations and others speak about the stars and we're going to come onto onto this now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore takes an oath um, and we mentioned this before uh, when we were going through the tafsir of Surah Tariq Allah Azza wa is taking a an oath by the by the sky or by the heavens. And Allah Azza wa as He did in Surah Tariq and as He will do here and as He will do in other surahs that are to come, like Surah Al-Infitar, Allah not only takes an oath by the heavens or by the sky, but he then uh hones in on or he speaks specifically about a certain element within the heavens that he takes an oath by subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa only takes an oath by something of great importance and so Allah when He says the heavens because the heavens is a vast creation, Allah speaks about something in particular that we should pay attention to that shows the greatness of our Lord وتعالى, uh, and His greatness as a creator علاه, and as the originator of the heavens and the earth and as the king of the heavens and the earth and all that exists So here Allah refers to the sky that is Buruj that contains buruj, and the word buruj is where we will see now that the scholars of tafsir differed slightly over as to exactly what it refers to. Um, the word al buruj in the Arabic language. So let's just look at this from a, a linguistic point of view. From the Arabic language, uh, what the Arabs do is when they have a word like buruj or buruj, which is the uh, which is the singular. What the Arabs do is that they go back to its original letters, is to its original origin, the root of the word. And the root of the word is measured or made up of the letters of that word, the the, the major letters. So for example, for Buruj or Burj, it would be ba Rajim. And what they do then is that the scholars of, of the Arabic language have said that all of the words of the Arabic language that go back to this root, all of them have similar meanings. All of them have a... Similar meaning, sometimes that meaning is one, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, so depending on what it is. So some words all go back to the same root same root meaning, others go back not to two root meanings. So that means sometimes it's referring, the, the words that are extracted from that root can refer to one meaning or they refer to the other one, doesn't have to be one and the same, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five. And I think the the most is maybe six or seven. Sometimes a word or a root can have six or seven different things that it's referring to. So, for example, I think we've given previously the example of the word jinn, that the jim and the noon in the Arabic language refers to something which is hidden, which is why the jinn are called jinn because they're hidden and invisible to, uh, to our eyes. The janin, which is the child in the womb of the mother, the fetus, is called janin, also from that root word of the jim and noon, because again, it's something hidden. Jannah is called Jannah because again it's something hidden um, and so majnun, right? someone who's crazy also comes from the same word of Junoon, Junoon means he's crazy because now his, his in, in, intellect has become invisible, Right? he's not, it's no longer there, he doesn't have his intellect there and that's something which is clearly noticeable from him. So anything or these words that are, revolve around this Junoon root, they all go back to that meaning of something which is invisible and hidden. So here likewise the word Buruj or Burj refers to or the root of it is the Ba, the Ra and the jin, and it goes back to the root of Al-Dhuhur wal-Inkishaf something which is visible and something which is apparent and that's why we call towers in the Arabic language Burj a tower in the Arabic language is called Burj so if you go now to uh, Mecca you know that big clock tower that they have if you hear the Arabs speaking about that, they say it's Burj Al-Saar, the, ta- the, the clock tower. right? If you go to um, uh, um, the Emirates in Dubai, they have Burj Al-Khalifa, the Khalifa tower, right? Burj. They call it Burj meaning a skyscraper or a large tower. And so the Arabs call it Burj because it's something which is apparent, it's big, it's manifest. It's not something which is hidden or missed very easily. And similar to it in the Arabic language, is anything then that comes around that meaning of the word. And that's why a, um, a a woman who goes out and is not dressed appropriately, meaning she doesn't have a hijab and a jilbab and so on, in Arabic it's called tabarruj, tabarruj, because she's coming out in a way that openly manifests her beauty and shows off her beauty, and so that word in the Arabic language is called tabarruj, and that is why Allah in the Quran, in uh, in Surah al hazab He says, "Wala tabarruj al addressing the believing women and don't come out and manifest yourselves in the way that the people or the women of Jahiliyyah used to. And so the word used is tabarrajna, tabarruja and it comes from that same root word, It's something which is clear and something therefore which is easily manifested, clearly seen by everyone. So that is the linguistic meaning of the word buruj or burj. And so therefore when Allah is taking an oath by something in the sky, it's something which is openly manifest, clearly seen, can be witnessed as a sign from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what exactly is Allah azza wa referring to here? What is that manifest, clear, apparent sign of Allah azza wa That is where the scholars of tafsir you will have different positions amongst them. And Imam al Tabari, as he often does amongst the scholars of the serif, the early scholars, he brings together very nicely and summarizes their different statements and positions. One of those positions. Uh, that you have, is that it refers to castles in the sky, like uh, s- castles in the sky, and what they mean by that therefore um, according to some of them is Al-Kawakib, that it is the uh, the big stars or the great stars and that's why you have these translations like Muhsin Khan and Sahih International, that seems to be what they're, what they're referring to. Um, so for example Ibn Abbas عنهم, said Qusurun they're like s- palaces in the sky. Meaning they're very clear, these constellations of stars and so on. That's what it's referring to. And Al Dahaq said something similar. So you have these narrations from these two scholars of Tafsir, Ibn Abbas and Al Dahaq. Others from the scholars of Tafsir, so this is now the second position, said that it refers to the Nujum, it refers to the stars itself. So each one of these stars is a st- sign from the signs of Allah Azza wa because the sky is full of, of these. Um, of these, uh, of these, of these, of these signs. So, for example, Mujahid, rahimahullah said he said there is a Nujum, and Ibn Abi Najih said the same thing, and Qatada said the same thing, that the Buruj are the stars of the sky. That's what it refers to. And the third position that you will find amongst the early scholars that the Imam Tabari mentions, anyway, is that it's referring to the. Uh, the dust particles and the uh, and the other things that you find in the sky that's that's what he says was the position, the third position that you will find and he attributes it to a scholar by the name of Sufyan ibn Hussein, Sufyan ibn Hussein. that he said that it's referring to the particles that you find the dust particles and everything else that you find within the sky and Imam Tabari after mentioning these positions he said and the strongest of these positions and Allah knows best is That the uh, that the sun and the moon they have their phases they have their set cycle or their set pattern by which they they go throughout the year, and that these patterns or that these uh, if you like these set formations that Allah has within the year that's what Allah is referring to. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is referring to the position of the stars, the position of the sun, the position of the moon. All of these are like the major things that take place, all of these are manifest signs within the within the heavens. And so Allah because he doesn't specify a single one of those things, he refers to all of them. And this is something which as we mentioned before, an Imam al-Tabari often does as his methodology of tafsir. That when there's different positions amongst or different statements from amongst the scholars of tafsir, the early scholars from amongst the companions and the tabi'een and so on, and they don't really contradict one another because each one of them is just giving you an example of what is found in the sky. And it's possible therefore to reconcile between those statements and bring them together. And say that all of them are correct, that's what he does. Because we have a principle in our religion. It's a very famous principle in the Surah Al-Fiqh. And that is that the I'mal of something is better than its ihmal. If you can work something together, it's better than ignoring one thing or disavowing one thing or saying that one thing is weak or or too neglected and so that's what we often do in the Sharia if you can bring those uh, those those uh, texts together those positions together then that is what the scholar should do as opposed to saying no we're going to dismiss this one or that one or whatever else it may be and that's why whether it's aqeedah whether it's hadith whatever it may be this is what the scholars do so if you have different narrations, and this is exactly the same thing in the Qur'an as we mentioned last week, Shah Muhammad Al-Amin, al uh, Shinqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, has a book called Al in which what he does is he takes the verses that there seems to be a difference, right? There seems to be a difference, and, and, and uh, or there seems to be some type of, of apparent difference, then he reconciles and he says no this is what it actually refers to and this is how we reconcile between them and this is a good thing to know it's a good principle to know especially when you read early works like like the the time of the companions and the tabi'in and so on because you will often find something similar so last week we gave the example uh Sheikh Muhammad al Amin mentions this but we gave the ex- this example of the two verses in which he reconciles between the two the first both of them concerning uh, the length of days in the sight of Allah Azzawajal, that al will be 50,000 days and the length of a day in the sight of your Lord is a thousand years and the other one sorry, 50,000 years and we said that, the, uh, that Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin mentions a number of positions and the best of them is that he mentions the position of Ibn Abbas that this one is the length of a day in the sight of Allah Azzawajal is fifty, like a thousand years of our time that's just a day in the, in, in, with Allah Azzawajal. And Yawm Al-Qiyam, however, will be stretched out to 50,000 years. So they're speaking about two different things. This narration of Ibn Abbas, you will get a second narration of Ibn Abbas. And that is that a man once came to him and asked him the same thing, the same question he asked him. Ibn Abbas said to him, Allah knows best. There are two days that Allah mentioned, Allah knows best what they refer to. But We have another narration where Ibn Abbas mentions what it refers to, and and he explains it. So if someone comes now and says oh actually we're only going to take the first one Ibn Abbas said he didn't know so this one therefore is weak or therefore it's wrong or therefore someone you know made a mistake in terms of his narration or someone comes and says no no this one's the correct one where he actually reconciles that one is wrong or weak and both of them are narrated by people that are known and trustworthy narrators a better way would be to reconcile and to say for example that Ibn Abbas was asked this question on numerous occasions. Maybe that one time when he said Allah knows best, the person who's asking this question wasn't a student of knowledge, wasn't someone who who would be able to understand this nuance and he didn't want to open up the door of him going into something which causes him problems. So he simply said to him, it's enough for you to believe in what Allah says. You don't need to worry about what it actually means. And that's something which you'll find often that the early scholars did. If they found someone that this is going to be a problem for them to understand, they don't have that level of knowledge where they can start grasping these issues. They would just say, look, don't worry about it. You just read the Quran and believe in this. You don't need to go any any in any, any more detail. But then someone comes and asks the same question. No, he's a student of knowledge. He wants to learn. He wants to learn tafsir. He, he wants to ask and so on. And so Mujahid, as we've said before, said in some narrations, three times that I went through the whole Quran with Ibn Abbas, stopping him at every verse, asking concerning it, which shows that Ibn Abbas had knowledge concerning every verse of the Quran. He had statements. He was teaching and... But sometimes when you're in a sitting or a situation where there's a lot of people there and those people are not always the people who will understand these issues or they're not going to really fathom them then the Imams of the Salaf would often say certain things or just tell people look this isn't something which you need to concern yourself with at this point of time or it may even be that at one time Ibn Abbas hadn't reached a position on these verses then later on, someone asks him and he has reached a position right and this is very common you will find in the statements of those scholars that because people asking them at a different times. So rather than saying one is strong, one is weak, we take one, we don't take the other, to actually reconcile and use them all where it is possible, it's not always possible, but where it is possible, then that is something which is a good thing. And this is something which Imam al Tabari does often because he found that to be a better methodology than to reject some of the statements of the scholars of Islam, to reject the statement of some of the companions or the tabi'een or these imams of Islam That's not an easy thing just to say dismiss Ibn Abbas or dismiss Ibn Mas'ud or dismiss Mujahid or Qatada or Ata or Saeed ibn Ibn Jubayr or all of these Imams of Islam these are like from the major scholars of the Tabi'een just to dismiss their positions isn't an easy thing to do. Um, So this is the position therefore that Imam uh, 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 Al-Tabari accepted or or the one that he considered to be the strongest one. and Imam Al-Qurtubi, he, and this is something which you will find uh, also in a number of the books of Tafsir. he says that what they refer to these Buruj is the Buruj then which became uh, very well known, that, that was taken from like Greek philosophy and and whatever it's taken from, which are the signs of the Zodiac, because the signs of the Zodiac, each one, is referring to the constellation of stars and the you know, the kind of like image it kind of makes, like these are clear manifest uh, images or, or signs or outlines that people can see in the sky, and so they base it upon that. Each one is for a month, right? Each one is for a month according to the moon and so on. Uh, and those like twelve are known, and, and they're mentioned in the books of like of, of like Al Qurtubi and others. Even though it's not something which we which we believe in in terms of the horoscope part of it, right? The horoscope part of it is that these things then determine your character, they determine your fate, they determine your your luck they determine all that's like that's like just shirkan and whatever it is we don't accept that but you will find the names mentioned in the books of tafsir and so when they mention these names in the books of tafsir they're not referring to the horoscope because most people only think of that side of it the astrology uh the, the sorry the horoscope side of it and that's what they believe in and that's what they take no that's not what he's referring to he's referring to Imam and those imams that mention this that these are things that are accepted amongst astronomers and so on that they have these types of uh, that these they go through these types of of stages the uh, the stages of, of 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 these stars and so on and the passing of the moon and what have you and so they they mention it just for that name or just for that reason and and they're you know the they're, the they're they're the ones that everyone I think is familiar with Aries and Taurus and Gemini and Cancer and Leo Virgo Libra Scorpius, Sagittarius uh, Capricornus Aquarius and Pisces and each one of them is obviously then uh, given a uh, a, a symbol to match those names because these names are I think, Greek names or whatever they are, Latin names. And so you have for example, in Arabic they're taken actually from the symbols as opposed to the uh, Greek or Latin names. So for example in Arabic Al-Qurtubi says وَهِيَ الْحَمَلْ وَالْثَوْرُ وَالْجَوْزَاءُ وَالْسَرَطَانُ وَالْأَسَدُ وَالْعَقْرَبُ وَالْقَوْسُ وَالْجَدْيُ وَالْدَلْوُ Which basically is referring to the symbols which is the ram, the bull, the twins the crab, the lion, the lion, the virgin, the balance, the scorpion, the archer, the goat, the water bearer and the fish. So these are what he's referring to. And so again those are clear signs from the signs of Allah, Azzawajal, the constellation of the stars, as we said that some of the scholars uh, have mentioned of tafsir and so on. These are from the signs of Allah, Azzawajal, but don't become confused between the two. The horoscope thing is shirk and it's it's haram and it's a type of kufr and it is fortune-telling or what have you. They're referring to just simply the fact that this is something which you see from the signs that you see in the sky and it's possible that there is and it is from the signs of the sky. Um, Ibn Kathir said that it refers to the major stars. The major stars meaning the stars like the north star and the big star and those stars that everyone is uh, can, can see and knows and so on. And that's what, um, that's what you will find in some of the translations as we mentioned. Uh, some of the scholars say or some of the translators say that as well Al-Imam ibn qayyim said buruj, The sky or the author of Allah which it takes by the sky and the buruj is the different stages of the passing of the sun and the moon and it's also been mentioned that it is the stars or it is also mentioned as the constellations and the different signs or symbols that you find in the sun, in the sky he says, and all of these are from the signs of Allah Azzawajal. And all of them point to His Oneness subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the heavens, all of it is made up, or the heavens is made up of many different things. It's made up of the of the stars, made up of the this, of this sun, made up of the moon, made up of, of the clouds. All of these things are signs within the, the the heavens and the sky. And so he says that all of these, therefore, everything that you find therein, is From the signs that Allah Azza wa Jal that point to Allah Azza wa existence, point to his, his right to be worshipped alone, point to His lordship, point to His creator, His Him being the creator subhanahu wa ta'ala, point to His ability, His power, Jalla fi'ula. And so, like with Ibn Qayyim, therefore, like Imam Tabari, rather than choosing one point or another, he says, No, all of these actually fall into what it is that we want to refer to. And that is because, as we said in the Arabic language, al Buruj refers to something which is an apparent sign, something which can be clearly seen and is visible. And so the stages of the moon and the phases of the sun and the constellations of the stars and so on, these are from the clear signs that Allah Azzawajal has placed within the heavens. In verse number two, then Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la says, وَالْيَوْمِ الْمَوْعُودِ And by the promised day, uh, which is the translation of Professor Abdul Harim, and Mufti Taqi and by the promised day. In Sahih International, by the promised day and by the promised day, Muhsin Khan and some of them in brackets have the Day of Judgment. Um, I want to mention here um, a number of narrations that we're going to go through and that is because as we will see here all of the scholars of Tafsir agree that المعود, the promised day refers to the Day of Judgment as Ibn Taala, said. Ibn um, Atiyah and, and we'll come on to those uh, in a bit anyway but I wanted to start with the mentioning of the narrations that we find. Uh, regarding this particular issue here Which is what is Al-Yawm Al-Mawood Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi Rahimahullah Ta'ala narrates in his in his Jam, in his collection of hadith Hadathana Abdu ibn Humaydin Qala Hadathana Ruhu ibn Ubaada ibn Musa And Musa ibn Ubaidah An-Nayyubah ibn Khalid An-Nayyubah ibn Raafi' An-Nabi Huraira Qala Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Al-Yawm Al-Mawood Yawm Al-Qiyamah In the hadith of Abu Huraira Radiyallahu anna Al-Tirmidhi He said that the is the day of judgment and it will go on this hadith inshallah we will mention it uh, when we come on to verse number three because the hadith goes on to speak about what is the shahid, what is the mashhud and so on and so forth um, Also in another narration of Abu Hurair عنه, the Prophet said Al al Qiyamah. the day that is the promised day is the day of judgment and in the third narration of Abu Malik al-Ash'ari عنه, he said that the Prophet said وسلم, also Al-Yawm Al-Maw'ud, Yawm al mawud qiyamah that the promised day is the day of judgment and there is a fourth narration but this time as a statement of Abu Hurairah so when we say a statement of Abu Hurairah meaning that it's Mawquf that he doesn't say that the Prophet said but he says it as if it's his own, his own position and that is that Al-Yawm Al-Maw'ud is the day of judgment and. Al-Hassan al-Basli rahimahullah ta'ala, said the same thing. Qatada said the same thing. Ibn Zayd said the same thing. And Ali ibn Abi Talib anh, said the same thing. And Yomul al Yomul yawm qiyamah And so we have these positions amongst the companions and amongst the scholars of the Tabi'in. And that is what Ibn Atiyah, as I said, said, وَالْيَوْمِ الْمَوْعُودُ هُوَ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ بِالتِّفَاقِ قَالَهُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم وَمَعْنَاهُ الْمَوْعُودُ بِهِ Ibn Atiyah said the promise stays the day of judgment by consensus because the Prophet wasallam said so. And that's something which you will find therefore amongst the companions and others that if it's something which you clearly have the Prophet wasallam giving its tafsir then there's no need for the companions to come up with their own tafsir or the tabi'een to come up with their own tafsir or the scholars who came after them to come up with their own tafsir. They just simply take because it's a definitive statement. The Prophet wasn't just giving an example or speaking about a story because you have statements of the Prophet where he's speaking about a story and so the scholars will say oh but that's referring to this verse or he mentioned within that and if you wish then recite and so it's mentioned as part of the tafsir but this, no this is a statement here, he said this day is the day of judgment it doesn't leave any scope for interpretation or any scope for much else and so therefore that's what Ibn Atiyah says what he, what he says and Imam al-Qurtubi, said the same thing. He said, akhar. This is another author Allah takes, meaning in this second verse, He swears by the Day of Judgment. The judgment. without there being any difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Tafsir. qala Abbas, Ibn Abbas said concerning this verse: Wa'ada Says it is the promised day because Allah promised that all of the inhabitants of the earth and the heavens will be gathered together on this day, meaning that this will be their day, or the day of resurrection. And likewise, Sheikh Muhammad Alamin Al-Shinqiti, in his tafsir, uh, and as we said, this final portion, of the last three juz of tafsir, was completed by his student Sheikh Atiya, Salim, He said, Well, Yom Al-Mawgud wa Yom Al-Qiyamah it is the day of judgment by ijma' by consensus of the scholars of tafsir. And this is the day that Allah used to promise the people in the dunya, meaning that the prophets when they used to come and the messengers and they would give clear signs and clear warnings and clear promises to the people from those clear signs and promises is that the people were promised to al-qiyamah. They were promised that there would be a day of resurrection, that the people would die, they would be resurrected, they will be held to account that Allah would judge them for their deeds. So he goes on to say, So this is the promised day that each one of those two groups was promised. What are the two groups that he's referring to? The believers and the disbelievers. Right? Each one of them was promised this. He says, Remember, Adwa al Bayan, as we said, Sheikh Muhammad al brings other verses together. So this is a nice example of this now. He says, Both of being promised, that there will be a promised day for each one of them. The believers, Allah says, for example, in Surah Al Anbiya, towards the end of the Surah, لَا يَحْزُنُهُمُ الْفَزْعُ الْأَكْبَرُ وَتَتَلَقَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ هَذَا يَوْمُكُمُ الَّذِي كُنْتُمْ تُعَدُونَ The major striking of fear, of fear will not harm or grieve the believers, Allah says. And the angels will come and they will greet them and they will say, this is the day that you are being promised. Meaning, this is the day of your reward. This is the day of Allah's mercy upon you. This is the day that you enter to Jannah. So they're being told, this is the day that Allah promised you. Meaning the promise being, that if you believe in Allah, you worship Allah, you live your life in accordance to the laws of Allah Azza wa following the Qur'an, following the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, sacrificing, striving for the sake of Allah, all of those things, then you will have your reward on that day that Allah promises, this is that day for you. And likewise, the other group, meaning the disbelievers, will also promise this day. As Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah al towards the very end, فَذَرْهُمْ يَخُوضُوا وَيَلْعَبُوا حَتَّى يُلَاقُوا يَوْمَهُمُ الَّذِي يُعَدُونَ Leave them, Allah says to the believers, leave them, meaning the disbelievers. Let them continue to joke and mock and play until they meet the day that they will be promised, that they were promised, until they come to that day that they were promised. And so Sheikh Muhammad al is saying that this is the day that Allah refers to al-Yawm al Mawud is the promised day, meaning Yawm al-Qiyamah. It was promised to both the believers and to the disbelievers that this will be the day that you will meet and you will gather before Allah Azzawajal and Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala will hold you to account Okay inshallah ta'ala we will stop at the end of verse 2 because verse 3 is long there's a lot of, um, a lot to say concerning what the next two oaths refer to and that is the shahid and the mashhud the witness and what is witnessed what is Allah Azzawajal referring to uh, when it comes to those two things and so that's going to take a while and so inshallah ta'ala we'll leave that till next week But if anyone has any questions concerning today or last week, please let me know. Inshallah, I'll give you um, a few seconds to type up your questions and put them across. And if not, then inshallah ta'ala we'll conclude for today. Also by the way just before I forget um, in two weeks time so I think most of you know that I do a program at my local masjid in Birmingham called al Isnad. and al is a, um, a once a month for a weekend we gather together at my local masjid and it's is broadcast online as well and we go through a, um, a book or two where we finish the whole book in a weekend like we do a full day Saturday Sunday and we go through some classical works on different topics this uh, next course which will be in about two weeks time um the exact dates i think is the first weekend of october or the second weekend of october rather the sixth seventh of october or seventh eighth of october inshallah ta'ala we have our next class or our next course which will be on two books the first of them is an introduction to the principles of tafsir by ibn taymiyyah it's an amazing book Uh, ibn taymiyyah is um, as you know one of the great Imams of Islam but he has some very nice books and from his books that he did is he wrote an introduction to the principles of Tafsir in terms of how Tafsir should be done according to the way of the Salaf and that's something which obviously we strive to do here to go through very classical Tafsir, how did the companions, the Tabi'een, those early scholars how did they approach Tafsir, how did they understand Tafsir, that's something which Ibn Taymiyyah discusses and it's a, you know it's not a very long book either and the second book which we will do is the Poem of a Zamzami in the Quranic sciences. So this is something which we did as a special for QP. Uh, outside of the QP classes, we did a, a reading and a commentary on the poem of a It's about 150 odd verses of Arabic poetry concerning the um, the uh, different sciences of the Quran. So Alhamdulillah, we've translated that poem now and we'll be going through that again. So for those of you that want to refresh, or you attend, you missed out the last time in terms of attending, then inshallah this is another opportunity for you so if you go to al-isnad, uh, Dakota, uk to the website inshallah you'll see and find more details there So inshallah we'll conclude um, here today Barakallahu Muhammad wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallamu alaykum wa barakatuh